Well, good morning. Welcome to part 21 of our Reflecting the Light series. I know that sounds like a long time. If you're just now joining us, I'll give you a little background with the Reflecting the Light series and why it's going on so long. We're literally walking through the book of John. Not so much verse by verse, but section by section. So what that means is we may not read every single verse, but we are going to go by section. So we're going to cover all that is in there. We're looking at how Jesus loved people, how he led people, who did he oppose and why did he oppose them, and what did they do about it? And what were the outcomes? We're learning to love and lead like Jesus. That's why we're calling this Reflecting the Light, because in John 1 it says that he is the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, and our job as disciples is to reflect him to be a reflection of what he's doing. Jesus all the time and John says, hey, I'm doing what I see my father doing. I'm doing what he's telling me to do. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. So we have to understand that concept. It's, it, it's bigger than we can imagine. As disciples, we're saying, look, we want to look more like Jesus every day. We want to act like Jesus more every day. We want to honor God. And so we're a reflection of Him, what the Spirit prompts us to do, where He's leading us, how we live, pray, the things that we do are a reflection of Him as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Not fans of Jesus, followers, disciples, actively learning and going after Him. So today, as I said, we're in John, and we're in John 10 today. And we're going to look at an illustration that Jesus uses. I called this message the Good Shepherd. You're going to see why in just a minute. But Jesus uses the term the Good Shepherd, and it actually parallels and goes back to something that was written in Ezekiel chapter 34. So we're going to look at both of those. We're going to read John 10. We're going to go back to Ezekiel and see how that applies. And then we're going to look at how it fits together and what that means for us as believers today. So join with me in John 10. We're going to read the first 16 verses. So John 10, 1 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come into him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, or some versions say an abundant life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. 
So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice. They will be one flock with one shepherd. So I titled this first point, Thieves, Robbers, and Bad Sheep. I want to kind of get this illustration. Jesus talks about how if somebody is a robber or a thief, they don't come through the front gate. They come over the wall. They sneak in. They, they come in deceptively. And that's how we know they're thieves and robbers. And, and the sheep don't know their voice. So throughout history, there have been thieves and robbers that have tried to steal away what God's doing in our lives. We talked about this, this spiritual battle the enemy is having with us. And it's not necessarily people, although the enemy uses people, to steal our joy, to steal what's going on in our lives, to try and disrupt what God's doing in us, to steal what we have. The enemy tries to keep us distracted and off balance so that our relationship with God doesn't grow. His ultimate hope is that we just abandon God altogether. Or at the very least, not share with others what God's doing in our lives. Verse 10 points to the purpose of the thief, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what Satan, the enemy of us, is trying to do. He's trying to steal our joy. He's trying to steal our peace. He's trying to steal what God's placed in us. He's trying to kill us and get us out of the picture so that we don't bring anyone else along on this journey with us. He's trying to destroy the works of God because he's angry and he's jealous. We've, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The enemy does not want to see us become who God wants us to be. Those that know the voice of God, and for us, after Jesus rose into to ascended into heaven, He sent us the Holy Spirit. That's God's voice into our lives today. When we get to know God, we understand His voice. What does it say in this? It says that those that know His voice follow Him. They don't follow the thieves and the robbers and those that try to distract. You know, there's been a lot of false teachers and prophets. There's been a lot of people that have come along to lead people astray. They've, they've raised up what they call gospels and they've added to it. And scripture is very clear. We don't add anything to it. And they've created their own religion based on their own revelations that are away from the purpose of God. Those are thieves and robbers of what God is doing, leading people astray, leading people away from true relationship with God. One of the things that's amazing about Christianity is it's not about, we can't earn our salvation. Every other religion is about earning salvation, about being good enough. About being good enough to do these things, do this, do this, do this, and then you can earn your way into heaven. It's a free gift. Jesus said, I am the gate. Those that come through me will be saved. He's saying, man, if you put your trust in me, so Jesus uses this illustration of the good shepherd. He uses the term good shepherd and for the Jew. Now, you got to remember, we're, most of us aren't Jews. We don't study the history of Israel the way the Jews would. And up until they turn 13, they study under teachers to learn the history, to learn the old, what we call Old Testament scriptures. They learn them. They know them. And... It was something that was a part of their lives. And so they would have known this story out of Ezekiel. This is why Jesus, when he talked to the religious leaders so much, he's like, do you not see who I am? Moses spoke about who I am. The prophets spoke about who I am, but you don't see it. 
this is one of those places in Ezekiel when he uses this story of this, the, the phrase, the good shepherd, they would have recognized that the term shepherd is a metaphor in Ezekiel for the kings and the leaders of Israel. Let's look at that. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6. Then this message came to me from the Lord, this is Ezekiel speaking, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away or, and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Remember Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These bad shepherds, as I kind of like to call them, these leaders of Israel led people astray because they got consumed with themselves, with their own power, their own stories. They took the best of the food. They took the best of everything and left the people of Israel to starve. They did not truly care for them. Now, there were some good kings. It's kind of like our politicians. There are some good politicians out there. I know some of you are thinking, really, where? There are some good ones out there. But oftentimes they get consumed with themselves and their own power and getting what they want. The leaders were concerned with themselves. The kings were concerned with themselves. Actually, if you study the history of Israel, you go all the way back to Samuel before there were kings. Israel was ruled by the people, by judges and people that God raised up that would lead them. And God was their king. He was their authority. He was the one that ruled over them. He used people as voices for him, prophets and judges, but God was the king. And then Israel came to him and said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations that have kings. We want a king. And God said, no, you don't really want that. I'm your king. And they're like, no, we want to be like the other nations. He said, okay, I'm going to let you do that, but you're not going to like it. And that's when we see the first king when he went to, God went to Samuel and had him anoint Saul as king. And, and for a while, Saul did a great job. And then he he kind of got caught up in himself and, and did things against God, did not listen to God or obey God. And God took his favor from him. And then we saw King David. But the kings after David, um, well, each of the kings, even David, there were times in their reign where they got caught up in their own stuff and missed what God had for them. God is our king. He is our shepherd. He is the one that cares for us. These leaders have not, been, have not cared for Israel. Actually, some of the kings led them away from God altogether. That's where those bad shepherds come in. And they oppressed them and they hurt them and the people were starving. But this was their king. This was their leader. We see it in the church world. We see pastors that come in, and I use pastor lightly, because they're more consumed with themselves than they are caring for the people that are behind, are around them. You know, the, the term pastor means shepherd. We're shepherding people in 
the context that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one we're following, really. We're just kind of in there helping lead them along. They were not concerned about leading people to a relationship with God. They were not concerned about those things. They were only concerned about themselves. So we have thieves and robbers and these bad shepherds that were leading the people away. We see it in our own time. Maybe it's not pastors. Some of the, sometimes it is pastors. Sometimes it's politicians. Sometimes it's the overall culture. There's been an attack on our culture, on our morality in our country, leading us away from the things of God. But here's the thing. I think it's, and I want to bring you a word of encouragement, as rough as things are on a morality level, we have a greater opportunity than ever to show who Jesus really is. And part of the reason that we're at this place is because the church got caught up in themselves and became more like the Pharisees of the Bible, where we got caught up in rules and power and authority, and we forgot to shepherd our people. And people have been floundering. They're confused. They're struggling. This generation that's in their 20s and coming out of high school and in their 20s, they're confused. They want something that's genuine. They want to see God work. It's not that they oppose Jesus or Christianity. They just want to see people actually live it out in a genuine faith. They want to know that God is real, that He cares for us. Not all the form and ritual, but just that He cares for us. That He is who He says He is. And that we as followers reflecting the light, we need to do a better job of reflecting exactly who Jesus is. These bad shepherds, these thieves, these robbers have come in and distorted and diluted our influence with others. And God is calling us to bring that back. So I want to lead to the second thing, and it's kind of the main point of this whole message, is the good shepherd. Jesus makes a really bold statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. Remember those I am statements that we talked about? He's equating himself to God when he says I am. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am that one. You remember back in Ezekiel, he's saying, there is no shepherd. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that's coming to lead people back into right relationship with God. Remember, the whole purpose of Jesus was to reconcile God and man so that man could be in right relationship with God once and for all. So we find in Ezekiel what the good shepherd looks like, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 16 of Ezekiel 34. It says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on, on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. 
but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. See, the good shepherd cares for his sheep. He seeks out the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave us the mission that he did. To go out and make disciples, to go out and find the lost and bring them home. Lead them back to me. Be that reflection so that they can see me in you. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what he's talking about. Jesus was letting the people know that he came to be that shepherd, that God is doing exactly what he says here. Now, this was God saying he's going to do this in that time, but he's also saying he's doing it in this time. I am that shepherd. I'm going to go find my sheep. So Jesus came in the role of the good shepherd. So what are the characteristics of Jesus as a good shepherd? First, searching for the lost. Again, verse 16, I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them home again. Searching the lost. Jesus' number one priority for us, the number one goal is for, to bring all of the lost back home. He cares about every single person. Remember, the enemy is not flesh and blood. Even these thieves and robbers that have come in, the physical ones that have come in and tried to distract us, they're not truly our enemy. It's the spiritual powers. It's Satan and those, his demons that he has, those fallen angels that come and try to distract us and sow seeds of dissent and keep us off track. Jesus wants to reconcile us to bring us in. He wants us to be able to hear His voice so that we can follow Him, that we can go safely, that we can have those good pastures, that we can have the blessings of God. Now, those blessings may not be the type of blessings that you think they are. They may not mean that you have all the money in the bank. They may not mean that you live in a big house or drive a nice car. They may not. You're still going to suffer. You're still going to struggle. It means, hey, he'll take care of your needs. He'll make sure you have clothes. He'll make sure you have food. He'll make sure that you're taken care of. Because that's the very second thing that Jesus promises is to care for their needs. Again, needs are different than wants. You got to keep that in mind. Needs are much different than wants. When I worked in foster care, you would place a child sometimes in a home or back to their parents and you're thinking, well, well they, just, they don't have anything. The things that they look for is, do they have shelter? Do they have food? Can they get to school? Are they going to be cared for on those basic needs? For our lives, are we going to be cared for? Caring for their needs. Look at verses 13, 14, and then the, the middle of 16, 16b. It says, I will bring them back home, in verse 13, to their own land of Israel from among the people of the nations. I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the rivers and all the places where they live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and they will feed in lush pastures on the hills. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. And that's 16b. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. Caring for their needs. Now look, I've served God a long time and there have been times where my bank account does not look good. But God has always cared for me. I've always had food. I've always had a place to live. 
Now, they haven't been the greatest places sometimes. They haven't been lush, but God's blessings are upon us, and He does bless us at times, and sometimes we do have those lush lands. He wants us to have a life of abundance, but He wants our life of abundance to come out of the joy that we have in following Him. His blessings come out of our joy, being content with what we have. And there's a lot I can say about that, but Jesus... A good shepherd cares for the needs of his sheep. He makes sure they're fed. He makes sure they're clothed. He makes sure they have shelter, that they have what they need. And the third thing is to sacrifice his life for his sheep. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Jesus was foreshadowing what was going to be happening. He knew that in order for people to be in right relationship with Him, that He would have to lay His life down, that He would sacrifice Himself once and for all for our sins so that we can be reconciled with God. That moment in history covered our sins for all time when we put our faith in Jesus and not just pray a prayer, but actually put our trust and our faith in Him. Believe in who He is. And follow Him, become sons and daughters of God. Then we have the inheritance of eternity. This life and all its troubles, all its trials. One day it's going to be gone and we're going to be spending eternity with Jesus. Something I can't even describe. Something I can't even comprehend. All because of what Jesus did as the good shepherd and laid down His life for us. He's caring for them. He's leading them. He's providing for their needs. Then he makes that bold statement. Look, I'm going to lay my life down. He's letting them know because they would have seen Ezekiel and they would have seen some of these other scriptures. He's letting them know that I am the Messiah, the promised one, the one that's going to come and rescue you. They were looking for a political Messiah that would rescue them from Rome. So short-sighted. We're often short-sighted because we only care about the the situation we're in right now. But he's saying, look, you're looking here in this moment, in this time and space, but I see all of eternity. I'm coming to rescue you from this so that you can inherit what I have for you as my sons and daughters, my adopted children. Read Ephesians, adopted children. We become a part of the inheritance of Jesus when we come become His. And he pointed out that he would lay down his life. The beauty of this is he's foreshadowing so that when the disciples, that, those that were following him, when he goes to the cross just a little while later, they would see what he meant when he laid down his life and then he could take it back up again. Now, the beauty of this message is he laid the groundwork for the Jews, but then he also said, look, I have other sheep. I have other sheep. Look at verse 16. It says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Did you get that? The other sheep are the Gentiles. Unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. Everybody outside of the Jewish culture is a Gentile. Probably most likely you and me. Now the beauty of that is, is that he's saying, look, I'm bringing 
all people that believe in me into my sheepfold. They are my children. They are my sheep. They will have, they will be one people and they will have one shepherd. Do you get that? And I just talked about this community event that we have coming up next weekend that's about racial equality, bringing people together. It's called One Community. This illustrates it perfectly. One sheep, one shepherd. We may look different. We may come from different cultures. We may understand things differently. But we are all children of God, created in His image. We are a reflection of Him. That's why it's so important that we reflect Him well. Jesus is the shepherd of all God's creation. He did not come as a hired hand that when things got rough would run away because hired hands, it said, look, a hired hand's not going to stick around and risk their life for the sheep for money. They're just not going to. When things get tough, they're going to find another job. But the shepherd, the sheep are his. And he's going to risk everything that he has his own life for them. Now, Jesus wraps up his message by pointing out that the Father loves him and has given him the power to lay down his life and take it back up again. There's that foreshadowing. Look at verses 17 and 18. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. See, the reason that he, he says that that way, and I'm going to read a little bit more. The reason he says that is, remember, the Father is the witness that proves who Jesus is. We talked about that in the last few weeks. Now look at verse 18. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. Do you get that? Look, we, we say that Pilate and the, the religious leaders crucified Jesus. The truth is, at any moment, Jesus could have rescued himself from that. He voluntarily went to the cross for our sins. He voluntarily shed his blood so that we could have eternal life. He laid down his life, and then three days later, he took it up again. It's important for us to understand that. He foreshadowed his death and resurrection. He continued to show that he was from God and that he was the Messiah. So what do we do with this information? What does this mean to us as a reflection of the light? Because we're, we're most likely not going to be crucified. We're not Jesus. We're not the Messiah. We're a reflection of the Messiah. So what does that mean? Look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see that shift? In John, we learn that Jesus is that light. And then it, it shifted to us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to us. He made us the light of the world, the reflection of that light. And we're to shine. We're to draw people to Him. Remember I talked about the light a couple weeks ago, uh, probably about a month ago, and the light extinguishes the darkness. And if somebody's lost, they put a light up and it helps them to be able to see. Or if you have a lighthouse on by the 
on a, on a lake or on a river so that you can know where the edge is, so it gives direction. It's a beacon of hope. We are to be that light. And it says that our good deeds, the way we treat people, the way we love people, reflect that light, shine it out to the world. See, our deeds are not what bring us salvation. That's the faith and trust in Jesus. But that's the beginning. Once we've come to that point, then we do. We become like Him through prayer, through the Word, through getting to know who Jesus is. And then it needs to pour out of our lives into our community so that it can be drawn to Him. Genuinely follow Jesus. Not some rules or religion. Christianity is much, much more than a religion. We religiously do stuff all the time. But we've got to follow Him. So here's what we're to do. We are not Jesus, but we're to reflect Him. So we too are to seek, search out the lost. Man, if you don't have relationship with somebody that's not a Christian, you need to. But you need to do it in the right context, not let them influence the decisions you make, but so that you can reflect light Jesus into their life. Genuinely build relationship. Don't just get to know them so that you can try and win them over to Christ, but genuinely get to know who they are. Find out who they are. Learn about who they are. Under, try to understand why they believe the way that they do. Not to change the way you think, but so that you know how to pray for them, love them, and so you can reflect well in their lives. Search them out. Care for the sheep. Care for those that are believers all around you. And even those that are lost sheep. Care for their needs. That's why we do pantries. That's why we go out into the community. We love on those that we have the ability to love on and care for them. And to lay our lives down for them. What does that mean? Now, we may not physically die to share the gospel, but many of the apostles did. Many people do all the time. Not that their sacrifice brings them salvation that bring, or brings anyone else salvation, but they're willing because it, our lives are not our own. What Jesus does with them, He can do with it. Because look, even if I were to die preaching the gospel, I'm in eternity with Him. Death means nothing because I have all eternity with Him. This life is only temporary. So I can lay down my life. I can, my life is His. I follow where Jesus has called me to go. And I'm going to tell you, that life abundantly, Jesus has allowed me to do some pretty amazing things in the midst of doing what He's called me to do. My job as a pastor is to equip others to reach their communities, to share and spread the gospel wherever I can. Jesus called my family to Kennesaw. We love Kennesaw. We try to build relationships. We try to get to know people. We try to be that light in Kennesaw. What it means to lay down our lives is that we yield our lives to Him. Really, it's what we do at Salvation. We're yielding to Him. My life is not my own. It's yours. You created me. You've called me. You love me. I trust you with my life. See, some people get the false idea that that means that they're getting rid of their own ambitions, that they're getting rid of uh, their own dreams. But the truth is that when we connect with God, really, He does things beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. 
there are a lot of things that I dreamt of doing. Some of them were just pipe dreams, things that you, you, you fantasize about when you're young. But a lot of the things that I have been able to do in my life far super, go far beyond what I ever dreamed for my life. God gives that life of abundance because I have peace and joy in Him. And even though I go through difficult times, even though I suffer and struggle at times, the peace of God is always with me because I know this life isn't all there is. The greatest joy I have is seeing people's lives changed. The greatest joy I have is seeing my family walking in the light of Jesus. Watching somebody that doesn't have that relationship and it click and you see the joy and the peace that they have in their lives through relationship with Him, there's nothing greater. I gladly lay my, my life for that. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 4, 6. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Paul was about to die. He was talking to this young pastor, Timothy, and says, look, my life's already been poured out. I pour my life out. So what are you going to do with this? If you're a disciple of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, you, you're, you're learning His Word, you're praying, you're studying, you've got to reflect the light wherever you go. You've got to be that one that's sharing the gospel by the way you live, by the things that you do. Care for the people around you. Care for the sheep. And sometimes it means giving up some of what we have so that others can know Jesus. I want to challenge you today to be a reflection of that light. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. I pray right now that we would be shepherds, that we would follow in your footsteps, that we would reflect you well, and that we would love and care for the people around us, that we would be constantly searching for the lost, helping to reconcile them with you. And Lord, whatever that means, whatever you've asked us to do, we say yes. Lord, give us the strength to say yes. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will know your voice more clearly. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that's on here and I pray that you would draw them to you. If there's anyone watching that does not have that relationship, Lord, I pray that today they would yield their life to you so they can know that joy and peace that comes only from you. We thank you for the opportunity to do this, Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you so much for watching today. Again, if you need prayer, please click that prayer button and make sure that you, you connect with one of our hosts today. Can't wait to see you again next time. Have a great week.